With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the latest podcast episode of Thyroid Nation. I'm your host, thyroid expert and Thyroid Nation's chief hope giver, McCall McPherson. Today we'll be discussing weight, hormones, metabolism, and thyroid with the very one and only Dr. Jolene Brighton. Dr. Brighton is a functional naturopathic medical doctor and a nutritional biochemist with a focus in women's endocrine health. She's recognized as a leading expert in post-birth control syndrome and the long-term side effects associated with hormonal contraceptives. Dr. Brighton is the author of Beyond the Pill, a 30-day plan to support women on birth control, help them transition off and eliminate symptoms of post-birth control syndrome. She's a speaker, women's health advocate, and a medical advisor for one of the first data-driven apps to offer women personalized birth control recommendations. As always, a very special thank you to you, our listeners. If you get a moment, please go review our show on iTunes. We'd really, really appreciate it. If you've missed any of the previous shows, you can also find them there on iTunes and tune in. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, on thyroidnation.com, on our Facebook group, Hashi and Graves Facebook support group, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, all the things. And as always, we want to remind you that wellness is a journey that takes continual maintenance and evaluation. Make sure to always listen to your own body and your own doctor and be mindful of what it's telling you. This is McCall, your Thyroid Nation Thriver, bringing the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united, we heal. All right. I am so grateful that you are here. Dr. Jolene Brighton is with us today, and we're going to be talking about the topics that interest us women most. We're going to tap into weight, metabolism, hormones, and of course, bring in some thyroid here and there. Dr. Brighton, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And thanks to everybody who's joining us today. Yes, yes. So I wanted to kind of start off with, you know, the concept of so obviously your expertise as we found out in the in the intro lies in so many areas but very very intensively in hormones, in the realm of birth control, its effects on on us systemically, even once we come off in the form of post-birth control syndrome. Um, I wanted to start this conversation tapping into how hormonal birth control affects our thyroid. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, I, I just heard um, the other day, Gretchen Rubin said this uh, quote, and it really hit home where she said, you know what they call research, right? They call it me search. (laughs) (laughs) And um, this is really applicable to me because I spent 10 years on hormonal birth control. I'm a first generation college student as a result of it. So yay for having (laughs) access to this. This is one of the tools that I utilize. And you know, in that, I also have Hashimoto's. And I kept seeing over and over that women in my clinic would start hormonal birth control, you know, and and in functional medicine for people listening, we do this timeline, which is basically what was your mom doing before she was your mom? And then what would happen while you were pregnant? We go through all of that. But I kept seeing over and over that 
Before developing hypothyroidism, women had begun hormonal birth control. Now, as we know, autoimmunity is very complicated, very nuanced. There are a lot of factors and there's never just one thing. So I want to be really clear in case people are like, oh, so you're saying birth control is the reason for all Hashimoto's. No. What I'm saying, though, is that it can be, you know, part of the equation that, you know, came to the sum of Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism. So it was, you know, through my patients that I decided, let's get into the research. And then having Hashimoto's myself, I'm, there's always in the back of my mind, what, like, how much did birth control contribute to me developing Hashimoto's? Now, when it comes to the thyroid, I think that, you know, you'll, you'll meet with people and they're like, I'm a thyroid expert. So I just talk about thyroid and thyroid. And then and, you know, so maybe that's the endocrinologist and they'll talk about insulin, and some other things as well. And then you have people that are like, well, I'm a gynecologist or I only do women's hormones. So I only talk about estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. That's like really what like what my jam is. And yet all of these hormones are really connected. So, for example, we need to have adequate progesterone to be able to utilize our thyroid hormone at the cellular level. And that synthetic progestin is not progesterone. It doesn't have the same benefits. And so we actually don't know what does that do to uh, thyroid hormone at the cellular level? Does it interrupt anything? Because all of these hormones are connected. I think it's really important. I'm going to go like, you know, kind of top down of like what's going on with thyroid and birth control. But I think it's really important for women to understand as well that there is a lot of research that hasn't been done. Mm -hmm. And the absence of research does not mean there's absence. Safety. Yeah. It, it doesn't right. mean safety. It doesn't mean there's absence of disease. It doesn't mean there's, you know, absence of a correlation. And I think that's really important to understand because we see a lot of critics out there saying there's no study that's ever shown this. And what's really interesting is how many of these like PhD researchers are saying, yeah, and that's the problem. There's no studies. Like it's not that there's, right. you know, not any evidence in our patients and our clinical observation. I'm sure you've seen this as well, but it's important to understand that just because there isn't a study doesn't mean that what you're experiencing isn't real. So that's that's just a really big take home there. Right. And and the likelihood that, you know, a pharmaceutical company that makes birth control is going to put on a study to rule out its cause or role in the creation of autoimmune disease is that likelihood is pretty low. Yeah. Right. They're not going to decide to then go in and search and, and seek out that correlation at this point. Yeah. And it's something that I think is important to understand. I mean, it's really easy to be like, I hate pharma and I can't believe this, but like, let's not forget. Okay. Well, well one, I take thyroid hormone every day. So thank goodness we have pharmaceuticals. Right. I cannot live without my thyroid yeah, hormone. Totally. And you Put know, me down. Just, uh, <laughs> just yesterday I get these wicked, like when I get mosquito bites, they swell a lot and like they turn into golf balls, sometimes larger size welts. And I was away from my house. I couldn't make a poultice. I couldn't do anything that I would normally do for it. And I stopped and got Benadryl and put Benadryl on my arm. And oh, thank goodness for that. So whenever people are like, oh, it, well, if you question birth control, you're obviously anti-pharmaceuticals. I'm like, well, I take a pharmaceutical every day and I'm pretty dang happy when I need them that they're there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think that we need to be either or. And I think that's what confuses people is that this is not a black and white conversation. There is no you know, absolute uh, one size fits all for every woman, whether that's to take birth control, not take birth control. And this 
the same is true with thyroid is that some women, you know, in the thyroid, you know, spectrum of, of um, actual hormones and medications, some women love levothyroxine and they feel amazing on it. And then you will mm-hmm. read and hear from other people that are like, oh, levothyroxine is the devil and it's the worst and everybody should just take armor. And then you have the people that are like, I took armor. I didn't sleep for three days. It was terrible. Like it didn't work for me. And, and what is that to say? That is to mm-hmm. say that we need to f- view everything through the lens of what is true for you. Not is not whether or not we have a study right. to validate your normal or your experience. I think I love research. I love having that available. But we also need to be very aware that there in medicine, as it stands, there's very little wiggle room for people who are outliers, who don't fit the mean in terms of their experience yes. with a medication. And that's true with birth control as well. It's really where I want to see the conversation go is like, can we stop dismissing women's stories and questioning whether they're telling the truth and dismissing them? And can we instead start asking, why is it one woman is like, yes, I took the pill. I felt amazing. Like I was the, it was a godsend. It was the best thing ever. And another woman's like, uh, three days on the pill and I was losing my mind. Like, or, you know, something else came up. We need to know why we need to know who we need to be able to provide better education for our patients. I didn't answer your thyroid question completely though. Should I do that now? (laughs) You're, you're rocking this. You just keep rolling with it. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, when it comes to thyroid hormone, and I think something really important for for women to understand is where birth control exhibits its effect to shut down our reproductive system from ovulating, that's how we prevent getting pregnant, is on the brain. So it's actually at the brain level. And I think this is really important because not only so many of us are not taught about our bodies, but we're not actually taught how these medications work. And so it does, you take enough hormone to basically feed back to the pituitary, the structure in the brain, so that it stops communicating with your ovaries. Now, this is the same structure where TSH signals mm-hmm. from. And so I haven't seen you know robust studies showing that taking the pill affects TSH directly. So I want to be really clear about that. But this is something where there are, I've seen experts out there saying, "Mm, we really do need to investigate this because if it elicits an effect on the pituitary, what, what other hormones may be affected? We affected, you know, with birth control, we know that cortisol, for example, there's HPA dysregulation that develops as part of being on hormonal birth control. So I have a whole chapter in my book, Beyond the Pill, about thyroid and adrenal health. So we know it, and this is what gets termed adrenal fatigue, but really it's HPA dysregulation. And mm-hmm. it looks like when you've been on birth control, it's it's similar in terms of what women look like. It looks like they've had chronic stress over a long period of time and they have inappropriate stress responses as well. And as we know, adrenals are so important to thyroid health. Now, when it comes to the production of thyroid hormone, we know there are very key nutrients that it takes to produce T4, to convert T4 to T3, and then you know to get that on the cell. And these include things like selenium and zinc and vitamin vitamin A. Of course, everybody goes to iodine uh, first. Yes, that's important. But B vitamins as well. And hormonal birth control depletes these nutrients. This is well documented. I'm actually, I'm always a little bit shocked when people are like, where are the studies to prove that birth control leads to deficiencies? And I'm like, ah, man, like since the 1970s, they've been rolling out. Like there are lots. And I never thought it'd be the thing, uh, one of the things I'd be challenged on because I first learned of this when I was getting my nutrition degree. It's part of the core curriculum. Medication-induced 
induced uh, nutrient deficiencies are something that registered dietitians are very educated on. So anyone listening, if you're you're concerned about your nutrient status, a registered dietitian is really, really good at helping you navigate that. So we've got that issue, right? Maybe we don't actually make thyroid hormone. Converting it to T3 can be more difficult, not just because of the nutrient depletions, but also because birth control is pretty hard. The pill specifically, I want to be clear, the pill specifically is pretty hard on the liver and the gut. And so these are two main thyroid conversion points where we get T4 to T3. For everyone uh, listening, I just had this assumption that you know about T4 and T3. So let me take a minute to say T4 is the inactive thyroid hormone and primarily what your thyroid gland makes. And T3, that's the good stuff <laughs> because that's our mood and our metabolism and you know our menses and also why we don't lose hair on our head. It's, it's good stuff. We stay warm in the winter. And you have to convert that in peripheral tissues. It requires nutrients to do that. And it requires those tissues to be pretty darn healthy. Now, I'm not saying that when you're on birth control, your liver's not healthy or your gut's not healthy, but it's possible because we know from the research that birth control does alter the liver at the genetic and structural level. I'm going to talk about those genetics in just a second. And uh, it does induce intestinal hyperpermeability. So what's more commonly known as leaky gut. It leads to dysbiosis. So imbalances of good guys versus, I don't like to say bad guys, but maybe not so good guys. And you know, in that it does affect your gallbladder um, as well. And we know when you have adequate T3, you make adequate high hydrochloric acid. It's an important mm -hmm. step. This is why you can have heartburn as one of your first symptoms of hypothyroidism because you're not stimulating the cells in the stomach to make hydrochloric acid. So then we can end up with a whole downstream effect of the gut not being healthy. Now, to the point of the genetic alteration in the liver, it's well documented in the research. In fact, this is how they verify that women in the trial are actually really taking the pill, is that they measure proteins, binding proteins, like sex hormone binding globulin, that's going to grab your estrogen, and it's a protective mechanism. And you've got to take quite a bit of estrogen orally and progestin uh, to shut down brain ovarian communication, but it's also going to grab onto your testosterone as well. This is why the pill can absolutely be helpful for acne for some women. And in addition to that, so we, we've we've got you know the, that binding protein, but we also see cortisol and thyroid binding proteins elevate, which means that if you hmm. do actually make thyroid hormone and you convert thyroid hormone, you have binding proteins that are grabbing on onto it that can prevent you from using it at the cellular level. Not to mention that when we're on birth control, they've done studies where women, they measure a woman's blood for C-reactive protein. This is a marker of inflammation. They put her on the pill and they find that her, mar her uh, markers of inflammation are elevated. When we get inflamed and when our cells are inflamed, they have a harder time accepting the hormones. And, and you got to think about it like this is a communication. That is what a hormone is. It's communicating to the cell. And so we're all familiar with insulin resistance, which can be driven by chronic inflammation. And so there's a lot of question of, well, can that also be driven uh, driving thyroid issues? And you know, with it, what's really funny is there was this study that came out showing that total thyroid hormone was elevated while women are on birth control. And the researchers were like, well, birth control might actually help thyroid. And a lot of people have clung on to that study and said, oh yeah, well, no, actually this study showed that birth control can help it. So, you know, it's, it's beneficial, except we don't use total thyroid hormone. And the reason total thyroid hormone goes up 
is because of that binding protein grabbing onto it. So while that may look good on a lab, it's not actually what your cells use. So this is how women can have doctors say, well, your labs look normal and they don't feel normal and they're having hypothyroid symptoms. Yeah. And, and, you know, basically I kind of give the analogy of like, you know, that sex hormone binding globulin is like a, a taxi system. And if there's a ton of taxis, they kind of hold your your hormones hostage or they upregulate the metabolism of them. So you just can't efficiently use them in a, in a good enough form to feel good. And yeah, I mean, I see that skyrocket with birth control for sure. Mm-hmm. So tell me, obviously, when people go to their doctor and they talk about getting on birth control, the very last thing the doctor says in terms of side effects is, hey, well, you know, this might really affect your thyroid. So, you know, what other issues or symptoms or side effects could potentially stem from birth control that we have no idea about? Yeah. Well, this is, I will say there's so much that was shocking to me as I dug into PubMed of like, I spent 10 years on the pill. I had no idea. And yet the research exists. It's, it's there. And it's something that I think it's really important to understand. Your doctor isn't a bad person. I just, there's what we've been taught about birth. Yeah. Don't know. Yeah. And there's what we've been taught. And I think, you know, the other thing as well that we have to recognize is that we had to fight to get birth control and we, we have to continue to fight for access. And so some people are really afraid. I, I get people who write me and say, well, if we told women about the side effects, they would never take it. And that's like, and that fear, you know, is going to end up with a bunch of unwanted pregnancies. And like, I don't, I actually don't think women are dumb. Okay. I, I come into this conversation thinking women are very uh, smart and they deserve to know. They deserve to have that information. And we need to be having that conversation more individualized than just saying that, oh, well, the stroke or heart attack risk is so low. Like, don't worry about it. Well, maybe, but you might have a genetic mutation that puts you at higher risk. You know, it's interesting is that there is so, you know, in my book, I, I list like if you are f- afraid of the stroke risk, which a lot of women are afraid of getting a clot on birth control and they just try to ignore it. And they're and, you know, currently we don't screen unless they're symptoms, which is, you know, you know, like I know that's usually like that's too late down the, the pipeline. We need to be screening ahead of time. But, you know, one of those screening uh, genetic factors is MTHFR, which is an enzyme that helps with folate metabolism. Metabolism. And what's really interesting is I was going through UpToDate, which is a medical database that is up to date with the latest research. And this is a, a conventional platform. There is recommendations for testing and screening and contraindications to birth control that are different in the US from Canada. And in Canada, they give the uh, additional disclaimer that MTHFR is something that should be considered a potential, mm. you, you know, potential no in terms of whether birth control is right for that woman. So, you know, and we're just learning about MTHFR, right? (laughs) Yeah. Let's back up and tell people what that is for those who don't potentially. Yeah. So like I was saying, this is an enzyme that helps with the processing of folate. And so with that in mind, we, I want to say folate, not folic acid, Uh, folic acid is a synthetic stuff. And we really, if you have an MTHFR, 
MTHFR issue, folate is really going to be the option. And with MTHFR, because you have issues, so if you have a mutation in this gene, you have issues in processing your folate, your B12 metabolism, and that shows up in a blood marker called homocysteine. And so we can check that because sometimes, you know, I've had patients, I'm sure you have as well, that have MTHFR mutations. We check their homocysteine and it's totally fine. So it's, it's not that they need any intervention. And yet, if you do have an MTHFR mutation, we do know from the research, folic acid is not a, a great option. That's a synthetic version that's difficult for you to use. And folate is the better version. But we also need to have folate. We need to have activated B12 like methylcobalamin, minerals like magnesium coming into play. And one of the best things that you can do if you have MTHFR is eat lots of leafy green vegetables, high quality protein, and really keep the environmental toxin exposure low because this also helps with processing environmental toxins. Now, people with MTHFR can be at higher risk for cardiovascular disease and hormonal birth control can raise the risk of cardiovascular disease in some women, especially women with polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. So that's why that's one consideration. I just found it really interesting in this conversation that in Canada, there's different considerations mm-hmm. based, you know, from the US and yet it's the same drug formulation. And I just think that we are so early in these conversations. Like, yes, we've had birth control around for a long time, but, you know, for example, we've never had a study that evaluates what happens when a young girl is put on birth control, never allowed to ovulate uh, her entire life, then goes into menopause. Like what actually happens? Like that's a... I mean, that's something that I'm very, very curious about. Like what happens with that? There was a actually a recent statement in Scientific America just talking about how this is one of the longest uncontrolled trials of birth control. Like basically like birth control is out in the public and there's a lot of questions we still haven't answered about it. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean you're bad if you're using birth control or you should jump off it right now? No, not at all. But you should definitely be informed about these things. And this is what I really advocate for what my... My book is about helping women understand that there are options beyond birth control. So when it comes to thyroid disease, for example, uh, you may very well present with irregular periods. I take issue with your doctor passing you the pill to, quote, fix your period and never investigating why. Because if it's hypothyroidism, that birth control pill is not going to fix your hypothyroidism, but it will give you a predictable withdrawal bleed. It's not a period, it's a withdrawal bleed. And yet that thyroid disease could be allowed to progress. So that's, that's you know, one thing that I really wanted to do in my book is help women understand your period problems are a sign and a symptom, something's going on. There is, and in the book, I include like, this is what it might be. This is the lab testing to talk to your doctor about. And here's some diet and lifestyle therapies you can start right now while you wait for that appointment or wait for your labs. So I think it's really important that, you know, women are also supported if they choose to use birth control. And in Beyond the Pill, I go through, you know, a a lot of the things I counsel my patients on. People are always kind of shocked when they learn that like, yeah, I have patients who, who, are under my care and go on birth control. And um, we do screening labs and we support them where they're at. So the nutrient depletions is one thing we've already touched on. But another thing that really, uh, you know, after seeing enough cases has, has become a contraindication in my practice is if you have a family history of Crohn's disease, so inflammatory bowel disease. Really? And the reason- Interesting. Yeah. You know, there's a study that came out of Harvard. I saw enough patients with this. And then there was a study 
study that came out of Harvard showing that, you know, if you have a family history of Crohn's disease, after five years on the pill, you have an over 300% increased risk of developing Crohn's disease. And as I got into PubMed and started looking at things, you know, there were case studies where women were on the pill and they were, they developed Crohn's disease. They came off the pill. It was put into remission, like just doing that one thing. Wow. I know, right? There's also other studies that show that have shown that if you do have Crohn's disease, for every year you spend on the pill, you, you may possibly be looking at one additional surgery. And so for people who don't know what Crohn's disease is and why I'm like always advocating to to like go see your dentist regularly, Crohn's disease is an autoimmune condition of the gut that causes ulcerations anywhere in the digestive tract and may show up as mouth sores first, so canker sores. And it was so interesting to me as I, you know, I just in my clinical practice, my patients with Crohn's disease, we go through their timeline and I would ask them, did you ever get mouth sores? Yeah. There was like two or three years after starting birth control, I started having these mouth sores. I didn't think anything of it. Did you go to your doctor? Did you go to your dentist? No, I didn't. I just, they went away. I didn't think anything of it. And that's a bit of the problem, right? is that there are people out there saying, well, you know, these, uh, the side effects are so minimal. Why are we even talking about it? We don't want to scare women about it. And women should have these conversations with their doctor. I 100% agree that all of these conversations that you and I, what we're talking about right now, considerations of starting, stopping birth control, that needs to happen with your licensed medical provider. Like I 100% believe that. And at the same time, a lot of women don't know when it's time to go to the doctor. A lot of women don't know what's not normal. And, um, you know, it, it's even something too that I included in my book, the, the, what does it look like when a woman has a heart attack? It's different than a man. What's mm. a, you know, what are risk factors for developing a clot? Like these things that like even a decade on the pill and even going through naturopathic medical school that, you know, I just saw like, this is just not, these are not the conversations that are happening when women are prescribed birth control. And so I I just think it's really important that we educate women, but we educate them in a way so that when they go to their doctor's office, they are much more informed about their body and they can be more productive in that conversation. Because, you know, for example, I, you know, advocate and I tell women in the book and people who are listening right now have heard me online have said, you know, things in a similar vein, which is like, if you are experiencing heavy periods and your doctor's not taking you seriously, it may be because when you're going to the doctor, you're like, I'm having heavy periods and like there's no follow up to that. But if you go into your doctor and you have quantifiable data and you say, I have heavy periods for two or three days out of my cycle. This is how uh, heavy I'm bleeding by way of measuring your tampons or your pads or how many times you're changing your diva cup and letting them know I have clots. I, I mean, there's so many times online where I'll be talking about clots and menstrual blood. So this is not blood clot like stroke or you know having a heart attack or having a uh, pulmonary embolism. This is like clots in your menstrual blood. And women are like, I never knew if those were normal or not. And I was so embarrassed to ask, well, if they're a, a bigger than a quarter, they're not normal and you need to talk to your doctor. And I've put that out there and women are like, I had no idea. I need to go see my doctor. Yes, yes. We need you. Please go have a conversation with your doctor. So I just want to be very clear for everybody listening. This is not medical advice. This is information to help empower you to go to your doctor and have a more productive conversation. And, you know, if you choose to use hormonal birth control, I think baseline lab testing is really important. So I ask my patients to track at least one menstrual cycle 
three is my is my you know preferred. So we know what's normal for them. What does their menstrual cycle look like? What you know? How often does it come? How many days do you bleed? What are your cramps like? When do you get acne or headaches? Like what's going on? And then we get baseline lab testing. So I you know getting things like a CBC complete blood count. Let's make sure you're not anemic or you know have a B12 deficiency already um, before you start birth control because that can only make you know make things worse because it can cause a B12 deficiency. So we want to be mindful because otherwise you know if you are already B12 deficient and then you start birth control, like we might be thinking, well, birth control caused this, when in reality, it was already there and we really should have intervened sooner. The other thing is getting a full thyroid panel because I've absolutely seen women who start hormonal birth control and their thyroid panel changes and they're not feeling well. And we support them and we, you know, in some instances we can correct things. In other instances, it's like, okay, this is not best for you. Maybe we need to make a switch. Maybe we need to try something different. But again, you know, these are conversations that are happening in a medical provider's office. We don't want to just uh, jump off birth control either, despite, you know, you might hear some things and be like, that's really scary. Let me jump off birth control. You know, in Beyond the Pill, I say step one is you need to have a backup method to not get pregnant. I'm so like, curious about your favorites. If you are wanting to get pregnant, let's do a little work to support mm-hmm. your body. I mean, nobody can deny that preconception care is really, really mm-hmm. important for not just uh, fetal outcomes and, and baby's health lo- long term, but also maternal outcomes and making sure that, you know, all of our ducts, it's so much easier to replenish nutrient stores and to heal your body and take care of all of that before you're pregnant. I know mm-hmm. you know this because you have a baby as well. Two, two little <laughs> Yeah, well, what I was saying about prenatal care is that, you know, nobody, I think, would deny that prenatal care results in better outcomes for fetal health, maternal health, and the long-term health of baby. And so I think it's important that even when you want to come off birth control and you do want to have a baby, you spend a little time really loving up your body. It's much easier to replenish nutrient stores before you're pregnant. Um, As you know, uh, having had a baby, I've had a baby. Um, But in addition to that, you know, if you come off of hormonal birth control, it doesn't mean your period's going to come right back and you're going to start ovulating again right away. There's, you know, on average, it can take three to six months for your period to return. And in some women with certain forms of birth control, it can take up to 18 months to be regularly ovulating. And so I think this is important to know because you know, a lot of women don't want to take birth control because they're scared it will have a negative impact on their long-term fertility. We don't have any research to support that. So I want to say, you know, I always like to hold space for the fact that more research might come out and I might change my mind, you know, as we have new evidence. However, you know, one thing that may be at play that's that has, um, you know, a lot of people say the fertility thing is a myth that if impacts your long-term fertility. And, you know, when, when there's a lot of people though saying the same thing about like, I think it, I think it, kept me from having a baby, I get curious as to like, where would, where might that idea have come from? And I think one thing is that we are using birth control to pre- to delay pre- pregnancy in some instances if you want a baby. And if you're waiting until 38 to come off of birth control and have a baby, it may be more difficult for you at that time. And you may not see the return of your cycle immediately. And it, you may need to do work to get your regular cycle back. And at that time, you're, you're advancing in age. Now, the other thing is that as we get older, part of why, you know, I, I'm doing air quotes, we get told we have older eggs. Um, mm. They're they're not as protected because our own endogenous, that's our internal mechanism for making CoQ10, is declining as we age, which is a really important antioxidant. 
And in addition to that, birth control depletes this antioxidant. And so, you know, it's something where it's like, okay, so you were on birth control. Did birth control cause infertility? As the research, you know, where it's at right now, highly unlikely, but it may be the age you decided to transition off. It may be that birth control masked an underlying condition you didn't know about. So maybe you had polycystic ovarian syndrome. Maybe you had endometriosis. Maybe you had thyroid disease. So, you know, it can, birth control can mask these conditions. And because you're having this regular bleed, which, you know, your doctor's like, you're fine, you're bleeding regularly. But if you weren't on birth control, that fifth vital sign, which is your menstrual cycle, your period would have shown you that something else was going on. And so, you know, it's, I I know that as I say this, there's going to be women who are saying, you know, who say, you know, for me personally, I feel like birth control absolutely did cause me to be infertile. And I would never, you know, tell a woman like, no, like what, you know, what you, what you believe to be true is, you know, about your body is wrong. But there, there are other factors that could be at play. And why I want to be cautious with that is because if we villainize birth control, which I don't think is wise to do, but we decide like, oh, that's the cause of all my problems. We stop asking why about, you know, and we stop looking for other potential issues that could be underlying. And that is a slippery slope. It's just as much of a slippery slope as not asking why and putting women on birth control. Like we need to hold space for, you know, what could really be going on, get Mm -hmm. some objective data via labs and talk with our doctors. Yeah. The not knowing, right. The, maybe the, the, idea that we don't have the answer yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's also frustrating to be a woman. And, you know, I'm sure you've said this in your practice too, where a patient asks a question and you say, I don't really know right now. We don't really know. We don't really have the research on this to understand. It's like when women ask, you know, what's the, why do I have endometriosis? What's the cause? We don't really know. We have, you know, there's the hypothesis here, the hypothesis there, and we're trying to test things out. But like, you know, I mean, this has been a big problem in medicine, right? We haven't really done our due diligence in studying women's health to the degree we have with other conditions like diabetes. And I'm not, please don't misunderstand me and think I'm saying, oh, we shouldn't be studying diabetes. We should be studying women's health instead. We should be studying both. We should be answering questions for both and helping. I have a women's health practice. I talk a lot about women's health. People often say to me, well, what about men? Yeah, they're important too. I birthed a man. I uh, married a man. I'm very invested in their health. And at the same time, like, please understand this conversation is because that women's medicine is what I do. Right, right. You know, I have a a really big question. Actually, I have two really big questions for you. Mm -hmm. I'll lead with, with the first one. And then the last one I can't not ask because I'm so curious myself. But, you know, I hear stories and I heard one, you know, from a close uh, friend's family member of someone who, you know, was trucking along through life at their normal weight. Everything was going fine, started taking birth control and literally gained 35 or 40 pounds. Mm -hmm. Like, is that not necessarily normal or common, but is that possible? Do you have an idea of the mechanism of action of that? Is that a fairly common thing that women experience a really big, significant slow in their metabolism or whatever mechanism of action is, is creating that dysfunction? Right. So, you know, what's really interesting is how often we hear that like the weight gain is so insignificant. And yet when you get into some of these studies, you know, okay, so for for women who don't know how this works, let me explain that like the studies, the way they've been done is they're like, let's just take these women 
put them on birth control, add up their weight gain and their weight loss and divide by the number of women. And that's the average. So you have some women who got so nauseous, they felt so awful, they lost weight, they lost 10 pounds, 30 pounds. You have other women who are gaining 30 pounds, 50 pounds. And so, you know, in that, it's like the average weight gain is, you know, usually it's, it's regarded to be a couple of pounds. And um, no, gaining 35 pounds is not the common. It's not the common uh, situation that we experience. However, it can happen for some women. And so I say that not because I don't think anybody should base, you know, weight concerns. I don't think that should be the basis of whether or not you choose to use birth control. And you might be like, well, I don't want to gain weight. Yeah, but like, I mean, odds are you're probably not going to. But I mean, if you if you do you know that you could come off of birth control and you can start to work on those underlying issues now when it comes to weight gain there's a few you know potential mechanisms that could be at play so one could be that it you know it impacted your thyroid and so as it impacts mm-hmm. your thyroid then we see you know your metabolism is slowing Another thing that could be going on that's probably more likely in most cases is that you are on a progestin-based hormonal contraceptive. It doesn't act like progesterone, which is a diuretic. So you can have water retention, plus we have inflammation, and that's going to cause even more uh, water retention. And and we know inflamed bodies don't like to mobilize weight uh, in terms of, of weight loss. And then there's the other issue with testosterone. So I mentioned sex hormone binding globulin increases while you're on birth control. And at the same time, it downregulates testosterone production from the ovaries, which is like a total win if you're losing hair on your head, you are growing hair on your chin, you've got cystic acne, you're like, yes, sign me up for this. However, we need testosterone to stimulate muscle mass and muscle mass is more energetically expensive, which is to say that if you want to raise the number of calories you're burning every day, raise your muscle mass. And so that's another thing that, you know, I've had patients who are athletes who have started birth control and found that they had, they actually had issues um, with their athletic performance. And there have been studies to show a decreased time to exhaustion. And so what that means is that like you, you can get exhausted easier and not have the same gains while you're on birth control in terms of muscle mass. And it used to be regarded that we put women on, you know, birth control that are athletes because your menstrual cycle somehow made you weaker. When in reality, the studies have shown that's absolutely not true. And in fact, you can work with your menstrual cycle phases to actually maximize performance and to get better gains. So that's a few of the ways that it may very well impact metabolism and why, you know, some women are like, yeah, I got, I went on birth control. I gained 50 pounds. Like this is what happened. And, you know, other women have no problem at all. So it is not common to see significant weight gain like that while on birth control. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, you may see like a pound or two, but if that does happen to you, go to your doctor and have a conversation because maybe it's birth control, but maybe it's something else. So we always want to investigate why. Yeah. I like that. All right. And then I have one more question. Then you add absolutely anything else that you want our listeners to know. But like, this is one that I get over and over in my practice. This is one that, you know, I want to be able to offer, you know, my patients a a clear answer to or clear options to. But I want to know straight from the source, the top, what are your favorite 
birth control alternatives? Oh, this is such a loaded question because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what's my favorite. All that matters is what works for you. So, <laughs> but um, I still want to know what your favorite is. <laughs> I know. It's so funny though. Again, like I was talking with uh, Dr. Sarah Hill, which uh, she has a book coming out called This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, um, which I got an advanced copy of. And I just, I just love, uh, we both, um, we totally like connected because she's a PhD researcher. She's an evolutionary psychologist. And wow. uh, we came to the same conclusions about neurological health, about HPA dysregulation. We didn't meet. We never talked. We never read each other's books. And yet there it is, the same research, the same stories. I'm like, I thought Love that was it. really cool. But her and I were just chatting yesterday, actually. And I was like, do you find that people are just so like they get frustrated or they get confused because you're just so gray? And she's like, yes, everybody wants me to be like, the pill is terrible. It's the worst thing ever. Or the pill is the best thing ever. Just say thank you, take it, and, and don't question it. And like I get the same exact thing. And then they're like, people get so confused where they're like, how are you so neutral? Because I don't live in your body and I don't know what's best for you. Nobody can know what's best for you except you. Now, there are some like caveats for those like skeptics out there and those, uh, those you know, people that um, love to uh, nitpick these things. And I, I welcome troublemakers in that, yeah, if you've got like elevated CRP and your factor five Leiden mutation, which is a blood that will put you at higher risk for a blood clot, yeah, okay, no, yeah, I'm gonna tell you the pill's not for you. But otherwise, like, really, my job is a doctors to present you with the information and then support you in making that decision. So, you know, I, so if you're wondering what I use personally, let me say this. I have a son. I am in a stable family unit with my husband. I have a roof over my head. I have a job. I have a lot of stability. And so in that, I use fertility awareness method because the risk is that I might become pregnant. And my husband and I have had this conversation and that's a risk we're willing to take. Now, just because you use an IUD or a pill or a patch or any of these other things doesn't mean you don't have a risk of becoming pregnant because we've all heard those stories and we all have those friends. I mean, I had a friend, the copper IUD is, of non-hormonal birth control options is hands down uh, the highest efficacy rate. And yet I have a friend that child number three is, she was on oh. using a copper IUD and, and he's always like, you ever wonder why there's such a huge age gap between our children? Like, this is why. And so- you know, it, it can't be like, there is no 100% foolproof method to not get pregnant except abstinence. Not having sex, if you're a woman, not having sex with a man, that is your way of not getting pregnant. Like, <laughs> everyone has the risk. That's certainly not our preferred way, though. Yeah. I hope. Well, I mean, you might be in a same-sex relationship and so on, you know. And well, that's, that's true. And that's like, true. Yeah. And that's fine, too. So, you know, in that, um, you know, why I preface build that? Because that that is my life and that is what I, that's the risk I'm willing to take and that those are my circumstances. But what if you you are like, I just need to know for sure that I'm not going to get pregnant and not in a monogamous relationship. By the way, if you're not in a monogamous relationship, please use a condom. Please use a barrier method. Please have SDI screening. It's very important. But maybe you want to go with a hormonal IUD. 
And, you know, again, that goes back to let's get your baseline labs. Let's get you to track your symptoms because you're living in your body. You know, it's normal. And then let's have that medical intervention. And then let's continue to track. Let's retest labs. Let's make sure that that's the best intervention for you. For some women, and, and for some women too, they might start one pill. It's the worst thing ever. And then they switch to a different formulation and it totally works for them. So understand there are lots of pills to choose from out there. Um, but when it comes to non-hormonal birth control options, so, and I do have a big contraceptive guide on my website that goes through hormonal and non-hormonal uh, options so that you can go through all of that. In beyond on the pill. I only review the non-hormonal birth control options. <laughs> you, you, like, you know how it goes when you write a book. There's only so much room. Right. And I was like, I had this huge chart and all these tables and everything. And yeah, my publishers are like, and where do you think that's going to go? Uh, that's not going to fit. Uh, and so we focused on, okay, like if, if I'm presenting issues with the hormones that are in birth control, what are women going to logically ask for? They're going to ask for non-hormonal options. But at drbrighton.com, you can find information on patch, the ring, the IUD the implant, the pill, like all for, and the mini pill, which is progestin only. So I try to present all that information there for you. Now with non-hormonal birth control options, we've got the copper IUD. We've got the fertility awareness method as well, which these days you can leverage femtech devices. There are things like natural cycles, FDA approved form of non-hormonal, non, it's it's just a thermometer that you put under your tongue in an app. Uh, it's, it's quite novel, but I still think wow. even if you use a device like natural cycles, Daisy, or if you're taking your own temperature and then plugging it into an app, which, you know, like Kendara and some of these other ones that are uh, out there that you you still track your symptoms, your fertile cervical mucus, how you're feeling. I don't think that, I think that the, like the introduction of hormonal birth control, it was phenomenal. I mean, we saw women graduating college at a much higher rate. We saw for the first time women were actually making more money as the pill was introduced. I mean, there's a lot that it has done for us. And at the same time, I think we also need to recognize it doesn't work for every woman. And that, that pill coming in kind of told us we could take a backseat to our fertility in some ways. So, you know, no matter what method you use, please pay attention to your body. And then there's also barrier methods. Now there's condoms. They can have a high failure rate if your partner doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, so you definitely want to know what you're doing and make sure they know what they're doing. But it's a great way to prevent sexually transmitted infections, which IUDs and birth control and natural cycles and all these things they can't do. And then we've got FemCap and uh, there's diaphragms as well, which you can't get diaphragms as easily in the U.S. because their popularity totally plummeted. So it made no sense to keep manufacturing them. But with the cervical cap, um, that is something that, it, especially if you've had a baby, you can have a higher risk of pregnancy. So it's not one that I'm like, if pregnancy prevention is what you're after, I, I don't really recommend that one. Although, you know, it, you may decide that's best for you. So that's some of the non-hormonal birth control options. And again, it comes down to what is your lifestyle? What is realistic for you? What are you exposed to on a daily basis? Like, are there environmental toxins that you're heavily exposed to? You know, what's your family history? What's your personal medical history? What do your genetics look like? Like, these are the kind of conversations we need to have so that we can help guide and educate women in what's the best option for them. And at the end of the day, if you do choose to use hormonal birth control, 
I'm going to support you in that. And that's what I set out to do in Beyond the Pill as well, is to tell women, look, these are the side effects you should know about. This is what to look out for. And this is when you should see your doctor. And also, here are some things that you can do right now to lessen those side effects, which is, is really funny. A friend of mine was like, wow, uh, you know, the, the pharmaceutical company probably hates your book. And I'm like, why? I help women reduce side effects. And like, if anything, like they have happier customers because, um, you know, women are aren't just like, because what happens is that, and I hear these stories where women are like, I tried the pill. It wasn't working for me. I didn't think my doctor was going to listen to me. So I just stopped and I'm not doing anything. I'm doing the pull out method. I know that's terrible. And I'm like, if you don't want a baby, you know, and I will say, I do talk about that method in my book, just in presenting the science, but I'm very careful to say I'm not comfortable with any form of contraceptive that a woman is not 100% in control over and can really make sure is being Mm. done correctly. I just, something where I'm like, I don't, I don't really like the risk with that, but it is something I think that we are at a place in women's medicine where a lot of women are, they've been gaslighted. They've been dismissed. um, They haven't had their symptoms taken seriously. And so with that, they, you know, they just don't trust their doctors anymore. They don't trust their healthcare providers. They're already going in thinking, I'm going to be dismissed. I'm going to be treated like I'm stupid and I'm going to be brushed off. And that's really what I wanted to do and be on the pill is help women get educated. So when they go into their doctor, they start speaking their doctor's language. They know words to use. They know things to ask for rather than being like, oh, you have heavy periods. Why don't you get on the pill? you can go in and say, okay, but I'm also curious, could I have iron deficiency anemia? And what would you think about me, uh, about us testing that? And is there any way that you think I might have fibroids? Like, how would you feel about maybe getting a ultrasound to check that out? Like, there was very much a movement. And I think it still is pretty pervasive that I saw where, you know, you see people saying like, your doctor works for you, go tell them what to do and yell at them. And I'm like, oh, so, okay, these are people. And the end of the day and what happens when any human is met with aggression with yelling with that yeah. uh, they have to fight flight or freeze that means they will push back on you and say hurtful things in and this is defense this is like please remember you know your healthcare providers are people at the end of the day and like yes there's this degree of professionalism which is kind of phenomenal when you look at like how we cannot sleep for so long and still function and like all of these things but like you know right. uh, if you feel like your doctor's running out of the room I'm not saying it's your fault but I am saying like is there a different way that you could talk to them so you can get what you want because what you want is what they want. You healthy. That's like that. You both want the same thing. So we've got the fight, flight, or freeze. And the freeze sometimes is that when women are like, my doctor just stopped listening to me. Yeah. That's what humans do. Like, just like go, don't, don't do this. Just go like, you don't do this. You watch, go watch YouTube or something. When someone yells at a child and how a child responds, like we, like, we like to think we're all grown up now and our brains matured and like, Oh yes, we're grown, (laughs) but we still are that animal at the end of the day. And so I've had so many women write me after reading Beyond the Pill saying, you know, I finally understand my body for the first time in my life. I get how my hormones work. Or uh, this is like one of my favorites. I was able to have a really productive visit in my doctor's office. I saw my gynecologist. Like we had a conversation. Lo and behold, I actually have thyroid disease. And like I, you know, and I was able to explain everything to her and she got the lab testing and things were amazing. And 
I've also had women who, I mean, there, there was just this Amazon review that came through and like, I cried because this woman was like, if I hadn't read this book, I would have died. Like I got a clot and I was on birth control mm. and I didn't know, I didn't know until I read this book to advocate for myself. And she, because of what she read in Beyond the Pill, wow. she advocated for herself and she saved her life. Like that was something I did. Incredible. Yeah. I'm like, I was like crying this weekend. And my husband's like, didn't you think that you were going to save women's lives? I'm like, no, I don't save women's lives. I give them the tool so that they can advocate, they can save their life. Like I never take credit for people's healing because as you know, the majority of healing happens outside the, the medical practice. Right. Like it's, it's the choices you make every single right. day, but you know, things like that, that I'm like, wow. And you know, she's, she's a rare case. Women who have clots, young, healthy women having a clot, that's very rare compared to some of the other issues and side effects that we see. And, you know, really what the other thing I'm advocating for is that we stop dismissing women's stories. Like since yesterday, Men. Yeah, I mean, since the introduction of the pill, women have reported anxiety, depression, like all these mood symptoms. It lives in the package insert. This is the thing when people push back on me and they're like, you know, where, where's the mm -hmm. evidence of what you're saying? So at the end of the day, what I'm really advocating for is that we stop dismissing women's stories and we start believing women. It's something, you know, for example, with the introduction of birth control, we saw women and still do complaining of mood symptoms and depression and anxiety. Where we're at with the current research, we cannot say causation. We cannot say birth control causes these things. And yet we are seeing larger studies. Uh, thank you, Denmark for doing the research, showing there is a correlation that women are at increased risk of developing mood symptoms, of uh, even suicide ideation, the younger they are and put on birth control. And yet, even as those studies come out, people are still standing up and saying, nope, this is in their head. This is not real. Like, no, like birth control doesn't cause it. Therefore, it's not the issue. And yet we can go through really the physiology of what birth control does in the brain and to the body and understand that there are some ways that it can contribute. And that it's, I mean, it's just such a frustrating thing for women to have these symptoms and then to be dismissed and told like, nope, there's, you know, this has nothing to do with your birth control. Although they're going through their timeline and saying, well, okay, I was fine. I didn't have any issues. I started birth control. Now I have major issues. Like what is, what is going on now? Right. Yeah. That totally aligns with thyroid too. I mean, I've said this before on the podcast, but literally at my patient's second appointment where I review their labs, I'm not exaggerating when I say at least 95% of women, when I go to tell them and review their labs with them and tell them that they have an actual problem, um, they look at me and they say verbatim, one of two things, either you're telling me I'm not crazy mm -hmm. or so you're telling me this isn't all in my head because they've been so dismissed for so long. And I hate that that is the status of kind of the medical paradigm at this point. It breaks my heart. Yeah, it really does. You know, I went through the same thing in getting diagnosed with my hypothyroidism and mine started out with anxiety as the mood issues. And I share this because I hear so often where, you know, 
people will say, well, if it's thyroid, then it's depression. And it's like, well, sometimes, but some women present with anxiety um, and mine started with anxiety. Then it led into depression. I was told things like I was just a mom. This is the way it is like that. It, you know, and then when I finally, you know, woke up at the kitchen table after sleeping 15 hours and not and I still just being so exhausted and my husband, you know, really mirrored back to me all of the symptoms I was having. I mean, I had like we called them dragon scales, like the flakes of skin coming off my knees. Like it was so bad. And yet, like when he said all of that, I'm like, oh, duh, I have hypothyroidism. Nobody had checked me for it. People, you know, were mm. quick to say, okay, you're stressed. You're a doctor. Okay. You're a mom. So you're stressed. And this, and of course you're tired. This is how motherhood is. And like, you know, there was really all of these really, as I look back, I was like, that's just, I was just being dismissed because of my gender. And there's well-documented medical gender bias in which doctors are, you know, not knowingly, they are not biased by choice. It is part of the actual training. And it's something that we're seeing, you know, going to Natural Valley Medical School, there's a lot of attention um, paid in our classes to gender differences um, in medicine and, you know, socioeconomic status, in race issues, and certainly in other marginalized populations like the trans community. There was a lot of attention paid to educating us around that. And we are now seeing, so guys, it's getting better because we're seeing these major medical schools are starting to shift their curriculum, recognizing, and I just thought this was so amazing. They put their hand up and they're like, Yup, medical gender bias exists within our curriculum, and we are going to change that so that we have better generation of doctors coming out to support women. That's awesome. And that's how we really we create this change is by sharing our stories, speaking our truth. And when and this is, I mean, I just want to say for every woman out there, please share your story because you never know who's going to heal just by hearing it. And it helps you heal as well. And when it really, when this change happens is when enough of us are getting loud enough to say like, this is a problem. And then there's a response and things start to change. And, you know, in all of this, you know, if I can leave you with one thing, it is that you are the only person living in your body. So you're the only one who knows what's normal for you and what's not normal. And yes, we age and yes, things change. But if you're ever concerned, please make an appointment with your doctor. And if you feel dismissed, find another doctor. It may not, it doesn't mean that doctor was bad. They just might not be the right doctor for you. Great, 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 fantastic advice. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jolene Brighton, for coming on today and sharing your wisdom, your knowledge with us, your passion with us. So many are going to benefit from it. I'm super grateful. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor to be here. And thank you, everyone who is listening to this. I really appreciate you getting educated about your body. Awesome. Awesome. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 